All right, uh, let us take a moment and pause and pray before we open God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that your spirit would be present with us right now. God, that you would help us to be present and awake to what you are doing and saying this morning. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be clear in all of our minds. Lord, we want to be people who are about proclaiming the gospel, people who are about being shaped by the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself in greater clarity this morning. God, I pray that as we open up your word, it would have its desired effect in all of our hearts. This God, we give all of this to you. May it be for your glory from beginning to end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit. And we are in the middle of our sermon series called Disciple. And we're kind of going through this sermon series. And disciple, discipleship is one of those words that gets tossed around in churches. And, you know, it's kind of one of those Christianese words. So, like, what is actually a disciple? What does it actually mean to be a disciple? It's used in the Bible. And we've been kind of trying to drill down on that the past couple weeks, trying to clarify in our own minds what is a disciple and how do we be a disciple. First week, Cameron uh, opened up the Bible and he opened us up to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, right, where Jesus' famous last words where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the, that's the thing that we're supposed to be doing, right? That's Jesus Christ's last words was a job description for the church. And that's what we ought to be doing. If we're not doing that, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We might as well close our doors. And then we're kind of drilling down, okay, well, what, what, is, how, what is a disciple? If this is so important to Jesus... What does it mean? Well, like a disciple, like a couple synonyms of that would be like an apprentice, a follower, someone who's a learner underneath someone else, right? And so there's this, this idea that you're not quite what you're going to be yet. You're someone who's transforming, learning underneath someone else. The definition we use here at Conduit is a disciple is a person who is being transformed into someone who lives like Jesus, loves like Jesus, and serves like Jesus, right? And it's uh, those, those two words, being transformed. It's this process that's ongoing. Um, a quote that I ran across that I love that says this, it says that there's no such thing as a mature Christian. There's only a maturing Christian, right? No, one, no one's reached that pinnacle of perfection yet. That's, that's for glorification. That's at the end. That's when we meet Christ face-to-face with faces unveiled, right? But we're all here in process. We're all here on different parts of that journey, learning to be followers, disciples, apprentices of Jesus. I want to share with you why this truth that this is the most important thing that we should be doing, how that kind of became clear for me in my own mind, 
right? Um, a lot of you know that like I'm, I'm still fairly new to the family here at Conduit. It was, uh, it was kind of funny. I was talking with Cameron earlier this week and we were both just like, yeah, it feels like I've been here a really long time. I was like, wait, only been three months. It feels a lot longer than three months. It's been a really good three months. I'm not, um, but like, you know, but, but I'm still fel- relatively new here. Um, and some of you may or may not know that the church that I was serving at previously, we had to close it down permanently last December during COVID, right? And that was hard, right? I had to go and we had to close all the social media accounts, had to delete them, had to delete the website, had to close the bank account, had to get rid of all of our sound equipment and musical instruments and give them away. We had to... Uh, we had to close our lease on our office space. We had to close the lease on where we were renting to have services. Had to call everybody and say, hey, we're closing the church. You know, we really appreciate it. We had to call all the people who had supported the church plant through all of it. It was a really hard moment and a little bit discouraging because, like, what was, what was the last four years, five years all about? Because if you were to go into Chicago and you were to go to see, try and see where we were as a church, you wouldn't find anything. And the answer for me, the answer that kind of was answered, that question that was in my heart and that was in my mind is like, what was the point of all this if the church is just going to close, was in the faces of those people that I saw during the last service that we had, right? Because it doesn't matter how many events we had, doesn't matter how many services, doesn't matter how cool or hip we were, how many ministries we had. It doesn't matter any of those things. The only thing that mattered at the end of the day was the transformed lives of people who were part of the community. And if I'm not spending my time doing that, I'm wasting my time. That's, that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter how many ministries or how cool a church is. If the church isn't transforming the lives of people, we're wasting our time and we might as well close our doors. Because that is the one thing that Christ has called us to do. All those other things are tools towards an end. All the things that we're doing, this here, this Sunday morning gathering, is about worshiping the Lord and seeing our lives transformed. And so that is what discipleship is. It's this transformation process, us slowly becoming more like Christ, more like the one we follow. And so we've been talking about that the last several weeks. And and, and this week, we're finally going to get down into the how-to, right? Maybe you've been listening the last couple of weeks and you're like, this sounds great. I'd love to see my life Transform. I'd love to see some new things. This is exactly what the gospel is all about, but how? Because I come to church every week and I don't feel like I'm being transformed. Today, I want to drill down. This, this is such a huge topic. We could spend weeks talking about this, but I want to talk about the main things, the big things that we absolutely need to have in the ingredient bowl if we want to begin to see transformation in our lives, transformation in the lives of those that we love, transformation of Jamestown and the surrounding area, Jamestown of all of our communities. We want to see that transformation. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I, maybe it's because I'm single, but a lot of people come up and ask me, like, do you like cooking? I think it's like a fear that I'm starving or something. Um, 
just, it's just truth. Um, well, people come up, and I, you know, and I, I gotta be honest, like, I'm, like, I'm not, I don't, it's not fair to say that I'm a fan of cooking. Uh, is anybody else like me, like a fan of the final product of cooking? Okay, right? Um, but like, if you're going, you know, and I, I can cook, um, but like, if you're gonna cook, like, you, you, you need to have a couple things, right? You need to cook in the right context. Right? Have you ever tried to cook a meal outside of a kitchen? Like maybe in like a kitchenette that's just like a sink and a microwave. Um, or maybe like in a college dorm, right? Like the only thing that you're cooking in those kind of circumstances is ramen. And right? Like you need a kitchen. You need all the right, the context. Like trying to cook it without, in the right context or the right area or space is just, you're just asking for trouble. And then when you're also cooking, you need, you need a, um, you need the right ingredients, the right content to put into the recipe that you're making. Um, I, I have oatmeal, I love oatmeal, and I love to have bread, I love to have toast with my oatmeal. And there was one time that we were, we were out of bread, but we had some garlic bread. It doesn't go with oatmeal. Just so you all know, don't try that combination. It's disgusting, right? But you need the right ingredients, right? You can't, like, I, I try and be creative. Oh, I don't have that. Oh, I'll just throw some of this in and I'll see what happens, you know? But, like, I have no idea if that's going to taste good. You need the right content when you're cooking. And then you need the right tools. You know, my last apartment, I was living with a bunch of other bachelors, and we kind of just kind of had a hodgepodge of things in the drawers and, like, you know, have like one dull knife that we use to cut everything, including like the pizza, right? Like, like who would have known that like a colander would have had such a big impact on my life? <laughs> right? So we need those three things, right? And cooking, right? Like you're like, why, Luke, why in the world are you talking about cooking? I'm talking about cooking because cooking is like a transformation process. It's, it's taking all of those ingredients, and if you put it in the right context, and you have the right content, and you have the right tools, that's all going to turn into the final product. It's going to be transformed into a meal that you can have. And so likewise, when we want to experience transformation, we also need the right context, content, and tools. We need those three things. And so that's what we want to look at today, is I want to look at and decide, I want to like pull out of the Bible and see what are, what are those three big things. What are the, what's the context, what's the content, and what's the tools? We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and we're going to look at that passage and see um, these, where we, if we can pull some of those things out. So Acts chapter 2, this is right after, right? This is right after Pentecost. This is after the disciples who had seen Jesus and Jesus had told them to go and make disciples and then they had waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came as they were waiting in the upper room and then Peter gives out and he gives the first sermon of the church and they see thousands of people come to know and accept and follow Christ. And so here in verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts, we see, one of, we see the first description of the early church of what they were doing, of how the believers were acting, what they valued. And so here we see this description. Be looking for those 
excuse me, be looking for those three things. And the first of those that we're looking for is the context, the context of discipleship. So it reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? Did you catch the context? Did you catch the spaces that the early church was inhabiting? Right? The context for discipleship is in community. Right? The, the disciples had devoted themselves to fellowship. They were breaking bread together daily in each other's homes. And, 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 and so, I mean, like, that's, community is an essential part of this. It's, it's not an overstatement to say that the New Testament doesn't have a, have a, doesn't have an idea, doesn't have an expression of what it means to be a Christian apart from the church. There isn't a category for that. To be a Christian is to be part of community, right? And, and like, and some of us that, that, like, that's the kind of not the way that we, we're very individualistic, right? Like, I want to do my thing. What are you telling me I have to be part of a community? I don't, I don't always like community, right? But like, but think about like the way in which that salvation is talked about most commonly in the New Testament. It's to say that we are united to Jesus Christ in faith. And if we're united to Jesus, we're also united to one another. It's, it's baked into salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're also becoming part of the body of Christ. There is no, there is no living out of the faith outside of the gathered community. And that, is maybe hard for some of us to hear. Like, I, I don't want to be insensitive to the fact that there are probably, most likely, there are people in this room who have been hurt by community, who have been told to trust and have come to churches and have found hurt, betrayed, or, or lied to, or, or not trust betrayed. And, and I don't want to just wipe that over and say that that didn't happen. But I also have to be truthful that we need one another. And that community, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I'm perfect either. Right? Like I cannot promise with absolute certainty that I will never make a mistake and hurt one of you in this room. Right? My, my prayer is that I'm not, that I wouldn't, and that we would find forgiveness and peace in Christ. But community is messy, hard. But Christ has called us to it. I want to share another verse about this that I think just kind of 
puts this in, for me, this is the verse I think about when I think about community. This is one of my favorite passages. And I think it's, if we begin to capture the picture that's here, um, it will change the way in which we do community. So if we look to First um, John chapter 4, and if we go to verses 10 through 12. So here it says in verse 10, chapter 4, 1 John, says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, let us love one another. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think I skipped a portion there, but I just want to read that, read that last verse again. Read, read verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I was, when I think about this passage, I think about uh, a time, I have a friend who was going through a really difficult time, a really dark season in his life. And I was in his room, and another friend was in the room, and the two of us were trying to comfort him. And he just was, was rather inconsolable. And we probably weren't the best consolers. You know, we were kind of giving him, like, trust Jesus, man. Like, Jesus has got you. And he's just like, he's like, and he just turns to us, and he's got tears in his eyes, and he's just like, when was the last time Jesus was a friend to me? When's the last time Jesus sat, on, sat next to me and told me a joke? And, and my f- other friend in the room got up to, in response to that, and he sat down next to our mutual friend, and he turned and he said, the worst knock-knock joke that I've ever heard in my life. Right? And, 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 but but what, it, what is that? That is the acting out of this verse. Because verse 12 kind of presents this problem. It says, no one has ever seen God. Right? Jesus can't sit next to you on the bed and tell you a knock-knock joke. But if we love one another, if we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. Right? When I'm in community with other people, when I'm greeting someone else, it's an opportunity for God to express and give love to that other person. So this morning, as we're coming in and we're greeting one another and we're asking about the weather and whether or not we forgot to set our clocks back, right? it's not just small talk. It's an opportunity for God to show love to each other, to us, through ourselves, through each other, that the Holy Spirit would be filling us up and that we would be conduits, that we would be people who are expressions of God's love to one another. That's the primary way through which God loves us, is through each other. And that can't happen if there isn't community. We need that. And that is where we begin to experience transformation, because we can't do it on our own. Right? And I don't mean that necessarily, you're like, well, Luke, like you're just telling us that we all need to be, need to be in a small group, because that's what you're the pastor of, is small groups. 
No, like community can look different, right? Like it doesn't necessarily, I'm not saying that you need to join a 15-person small group and bare your soul to a bunch of people you don't know very well. Community looks different for all of us. Right here this morning is an expression of community. Maybe you need an expression of community that's in a smaller group setting with maybe just one or two other people to kind of really dig into something, to get to know them. Maybe we just want to get together and watch a football game. That's community, right? There's flexibility in what that looks like. But we, we need it on some degree. I need it on some degree. I'm, I, I would not be a very good follower of Christ if I was left to my own devices and I was all by myself. I want to share with you what I think is probably my favorite quote when it comes to community. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It says that the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Right? For me, like, I like mic drop that quote and walk off stage. Um, like, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. If we have these unmet expectations. A lot of our frustration with community boils down to these unmet expectations. We desire community to look and to be how I want it to be. And when it doesn't look that way, I'm going to get really frustrated. But the way to create community is not to try and form community into my perfect dream of it, but rather to look next to me look around me and find those that are near me and to love them. And if I can do that, community will start to grow and multiply. It will be contagious. And so that is how community is born. That's how true community grows. And so let's just talk about our community here at Conduit. Right? Let's kind of just like talk about it. Because some of you have been here for Longer than I have. You've been here for a long time. And, and, and conduit looks different. And, and maybe, maybe you've been coming here and, and you used to come to conduit and used to know everyone in the room on a Sunday morning. It used to be easy to, to at least know their names, right? And maybe everybody knew your name, but that's not today. I, I don't, I still don't know everyone's name in here, to be honest. Um, but, Right? Like, it's this, that's, that's a loss, right? That's hard. But it's also a good thing. It's a thing that it, I get excited anytime I meet somebody and, and they're like, I've never been here before. I'm like, it's awesome because we've been praying about you. We've been praying about God and his work and that God would bring the right people through the door here. And that anyone who would come here would find a community of people who are honest and open and willing to love them with the love of God. And so community might look different for us as we're in a different season now where, you know, I was just talking earlier. I was just like, man, it'd be great if we all wore name tags. Um, you know, and like this, maybe just give each other a little bit of permission, a little bit of grace, like you know, like, I know we talked before, but I can't remember your name. You know, you guys have all been very gracious with me with that. Every time I've had to, like, I know we talked. I can't remember your name. You guys have been very loving with me and giving. And so you guys, I think we can do that. I think we can be compassionate with one another. I think we can be a community 
that can grow and that can flex as our community, as who we are changes. And so maybe community might mean that you join a, um, a class. We're going to start doing some more classes on Sunday morning, starting in the new year. We're, I'm hoping to start some more small groups. If you Maybe you want to explore community in a, in a tighter knit setting. Maybe you'd like to, to, to get one or two other people together and do a, a, a specific Bible study on a specific topic or, or do something together and be on that life-on-life community. Right? Like, I want to give that permission for us as a family to, to grow in community together in different ways. To grow in community here on Sunday morning, to grow as a community in our small groups, to love one another in classrooms, to love one another in small groups at coffee shops early in the morning. Give us a, a bigger vision for what community means and can look like here at Conduit. So context. Context is it, for discipleship is community. But what's the content? What do we need to be, what are the ingredients we need to be putting into our recipe for discipleship? And that is that the content for discipleship is God's truth. You look back in Acts chapter 2, right? It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, Right? And for us, right, the apostles' teachings are those things that were written down here in the Bible. Right? There's a reason I'm up here and I'm, I'm reading the Bible, I'm holding the Bible, is because this is the basis for what we say is true. This is the basis of, of this is God's word. Right? I, if I'm just up here giving you my opinions, well, I'm wasting your time and mine. And so the content for discipleship is God's truth. And maybe it's kind of obvious to say that. Maybe it's like, well, like, no, duh. Like, but like, but it, I think it serves to be said that it needs to be said that when we're growing and making disciples, it's not up to me to decide what a disciple looks like. It's not up to me to decide what is true or what is the standard or, 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 or for God to be a way that I would prefer him to be. That's, that's told to me by God's truth, by the word. And that's affirmed by the community. That's affirmed by the witness of the church throughout history. I don't just get to make these things up. When I'm making a disciple, I'm not discipling someone to my favorite podcaster or author. I'm not discipling somebody to even a particular church. I'm discipling them to Jesus. Don't, don't look at me, look at Christ. And so, and, and, and when I say that, when, that ought to inspire humility in us. I think sometimes when, when, when we say that, when we hold up and we say, God's truth, not mine, sometimes we still don't, so we still don't conform to the humility that ought to generate in us. I was thinking about like 18 year old Luke. Like, if, if I could stand next to 18-year-old Luke. 18-year-old Luke probably, no, he did. He thought he knew more than he did. And he was way more arrogant about it. And he was not as nice about it either. Um, and, like, the more I've read, the more that I've studied, the more I realize how much I don't know. And the more I realize that I need to have humility over that which I do know. 
And, and, and so saying that God's truth is our anchor ought to bring about a humility in myself, in ourselves, that I ought to be paying attention to this, that left to my own devices, I'm going to veer off somewhere. I'm going to choose something that I would rather have it be this way rather than God's way. And so let us cultivate a heart of humility that focuses on what is clear. I had a professor who, I thought this was a really wise thing that he would often say. He would say, let us speak loudly about what the gospel speaks loudly and clearly about. And then let us whisper about what the Bible whispers about. Let us take what the Bible has clearly said about Jesus Christ, who he was in salvation, his coming and his coming again, and let us speak loudly and proclaim boldly the gospel. But let us also be humble about those things that maybe aren't central to that and maybe aren't as clear. And let us love one another so long as we are trying to be faithful to God's truth. And so that is the content of discipleship, is God's truth. Not my own preferences and not Christian publishing. It's, it's God's truth, the Bible. And we ought to be pointing ourselves to Jesus Christ through that. So we've talked about the context for discipleship is community, the content for discipleship is truth, and now the tools for, for discipleship are what I'm going to call spiritual practices. Because look at in verse in chapter 2 of Acts in verse 43, or even just the second half of 42, it says that they were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Right? These are spiritual practices. When it says breaking the bread, right? That's participating in, in how the early church did communion. It was probably also a larger meal, but it was also just simply taking the blood of Christ and, and, and the bread and, and saying like this and practicing what Jesus Christ commanded them to do. Do this in remembrance of me so often as you gather together. And so spiritual practices, being in prayer, and, and another word that kind of get tossed around to kind of describe that are spiritual disciplines. And maybe you don't have the best relationship with spiritual disciplines, right? A lot of times when I ask people and I say, like, how's your spiritual life going? Like, the, like almost verbatim, the response I often hear more often than anything else is, well, not, not reading my Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. You know, well, that's, that's one part of it, right? That's one part of your spiritual life. And, and yeah, we all ought to be reading our Bibles and praying. But, like, does it have to look the same for everybody? Right? I think there's a freedom for us to be creative with how spiritual practices look for each and every single one of us. Spiritual disciplines are important because... Because we're both, because spiritual disciplines are both physical and spiritual, and we are both physical and spiritual. Like Cameron was talking about last week, that this transformation of the whole person, that I'm not just a brain on a stick, I'm not just a spirit in a body, I'm not just a body, I'm all three of those things. That I'm all those things together, and that transformation involves all of me. Spiritual disciplines also involve all of me. 
They're a physical thing that I do that somehow begins to shift that which is spiritual inside of me. When I'm reading God's word, it's a physical thing that I'm doing. It's something that's accentuating and changing and forming my mind and how I think, and it's affecting my heart. And, well, just to say this, like, not everyone's walk is the same. Some of us have been following Jesus for a long time, and some of us are just starting down that path, and some of us are still thinking about taking the first steps. And that's okay. And so sometimes when we talk about spiritual practices and how to engage with God, we try and give everybody the same thing, but we're all in different spots. Right? If some of you, if we're in, let's think about the spiritual life in terms of seasons. Right? If someone's in a spiritual spring, right, that person might be going to a Bible study, might be going to a class, might be learning a lot of new things, trying some new things, be experiencing some freshness in their walk, versus somebody who's in a spiritual winter might be not in a large small group, but might be meeting with one, two other people, drilling down on a specific thing that's happening in their life. Their prayer life, the prayer life of those two individuals is going to look drastically different. I think, well, let's just talk about prayer, for example. We were to talk about how prayer looks. The way that we probably most often pray is in what I kind of term kind of a grocery list way of praying. Right? It's kind of where we're like, okay, like, dear Lord, and then here's all the things that I need to pray through. We kind of pray through them. And, and I don't want to be derogatory about that. That's a great way to pray. I still pray that way, right? But I've also found that I need other ways to pray. I, that, that's not always the most helpful thing for me. That sometimes I need to open up a book of written prayers that people who have lived and died a long time before me and are probably, who, who wrote these down and people have found these prayers to be helpful, that it's helpful for me to just simply read a prayer that someone else thought through and wrote, to find that my own soul resonates with the circumstances of somebody a hundred years ago and what they were going through. I've also found that sometimes for me, very simple prayers are what I need throughout my day. How many times do I need to stop and just simply pray, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner? And if I pray that a handful of times, sometimes that, that's what I need. is not a complicated prayer, but just simply, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I'm in, need of, I'm in need of your grace. I'm in need of focusing on you today. I'm in need of preparation and your grace and mercy as I go into this difficult conversation. Lord, I just messed up, and I need to reminder that you have mercy and grace and forgiveness for me. Right? That simple prayer for me is something I pray multiple times a day because I found it to be immensely helpful, a reminder that draws me back. And so I think there's freedom in spiritual practices. Maybe you felt like, you know, a Bible study can only be like this inductive Bible study with a commentary open or something like that. Or prayer can only be in this certain type. I would encourage you to be creative, to perhaps if you're artistic, draw if you're uh, a, a verbal processor, to perhaps write out your prayers. See how you can connect to God meaningfully through his truth. So those are the three 
I would say, big things. Right? The context of discipleship is in community. The content of discipleship, that thing which we are being discipleshiped to, is, is the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And the tools for discipleship are spiritual practices, those things that we can physically and mentally engage with that also activate our spirits. And so we here at Conduit, we want to, we want to provide and help you do that as much as possible. And that's, that's our, that's, that's my heart. That's Cameron's heart. That's what we want to do is we want to be helping you do those things. Why we have small groups. Why we're doing things like celebrate recovery. Why I'm encouraging us to, um, we're, we're, we're getting ready to start and we're going to do, um, some more classes like front door, but we're going to do one on, on spiritual practices in the new year. And what does it look like to have a spiritual life and grow and learn all of that? We want to give those tools. And, and honestly, I could probably spend the rest of the day getting really granular and talking about all of these things. But I want to leave you with one last thing about discipleship. One last thing about how are we discipled. And that is that this simple truth, that being a disciple of Jesus is about the gospel from beginning to end. Right? The gospel is not just for new Christians. The gospel is for each and every single one of us in each and every single season. What I've found in every moment or every season of my life where I've been stuck and I've needed to grow or I've had a spiritual encounter, it can be summarized by saying that I'm having a spiritual encounter with the gospel afresh. That I'm meeting the grace and mercy and the love of God in the face of Jesus Christ and finding that that is sufficient for whatever season I find myself in. The gospel is the thing that not only just, the salvation is not just a moment or a prayer or, or, or a card or, or a thing that we said. Salvation is an ongoing process. I, I'm not just saved from my sins, but I'm saved from my need for control over my life when things are crazy. I'm saved from my need to, to understand and have the answer to everything. I'm, I'm saved from the need to be a perfectionist. Right? Jesus Christ has grace and mercy for you no matter what wall or obstacle you might find yourself coming up against in your spiritual life. The best advice that I can give just about anyone who ever talks to me is to simply look at the cross of Jesus Christ and behold a lo the love of God. Behold a God who loves you, who has died for you, has raised from the dead for you so that you might experience new life. That is... It's that simple. Like, it, it feels really silly to say that the answer is Jesus, but that's the truth. That is the gospel. And that is what we ought to be forming and shaping ourselves into, is people who are gospel-shaped, people who are willing to look at the brokenness of this world and of our own lives, bring it into the light, and let Jesus Christ love and transform it through his power. That we might be people who can testify of how Jesus it, we're not, hasn't made us perfect yet, but how he's transforming us still. 
and how he's still present with us. If you would, please bow with me and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for such a great salvation that you've given us. Lord, we we thank you for your Holy Spirit and its work, his work in our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would knit us together as a community. Lord, that you would help us to lay aside unhelpful expectations and help us to love one another. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would build up into us a a vision for one another. Help us to see each other how you see us, with love, with compassion, with patience. God, I pray that you would form and shape our hearts. Lord, that you would dispel the lies of the enemy, that you would dispel the lies of our world, that you would dispel lies that we speak to ourselves still, and that you would speak to us your truth. Lord, that you would set us free from the captivity of lies. God, that we would be people who who want to live and love and serve like you. God, make us more like you. Might we decrease and you increase. God, I pray that you would build into us, that you would help us to to pay attention to your presence throughout the day. Lord, that we would be aware of your work in our lives, that we would be sensitive to it. And God, I pray for for all of us this morning that need the gospel afresh, that need to know and be reminded of the love that you have for us that is so great. Lord, that you came and you died and you rose again from the dead, that you conquered death and sin and brokenness, that by your wounds that we are healed. Today, Lord, I pray that any of us in this room, no matter where we're at in our walk, if we have wounds that need healed, if we have obstacles we need breakthroughs for, God, I pray that your gospel would be the one and only answer for that. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do that in our hearts, that you would shape us to be people who speak your gospel, who speak your love, grace, and truth. Lord Jesus Christ, make it so. In Jesus' name we pray.